Yes, hey everyone, welcome back to the Power Hour podcast and to the first episode of 2022. I couldn't think of a better way to kick off a new year than with today's guest, the one and only Matt Fraser. Matt Fraser is a former professional CrossFit athlete and the first athlete to ever win the CrossFit Games five years consecutively, earning the title of the fittest on earth. In this episode, we talk about Matt's life growing up and the influence that both of his parents had on his approach to work ethic, to training and life. And of course, we talk about what it takes to become the fittest man on earth and how sometimes you need to find more than one way to get motivated. As it's January, I know many of you are probably looking forward to the year ahead, making plans, getting ready to take on a new challenge. So I hope that this episode will be a spark of inspiration and encouragement. Let's dive into this week's episode of Power Hour with Matt Fraser. Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week, I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today I'm joined by the one and only Matt Fraser. Matt, how are you doing? Great. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll be honest, I know a lot of people that are mega envious of my situation right now. You have some huge fans <laughs> over here in the UK. Oh man, and anytime we've been over there, you know, it's always been, you know, just the the crowd is is just incredible. I was over I did a competition over there probably you know, a year and a half, two years ago, I think it was. Um, and it was one of the coolest atmospheres, you know, like a tight, intimate atmosphere for a competition that, you know, we haven't seen in so long. So I'm glad I got that experience before before everything went virtual. Yeah. And, and for anyone listening who doesn't know, I mean, I hate to say that, but I'm sure maybe there might be one person who's been living under a rock. So I'll do a little recap. Matt, you are the ultimate athlete. So you're the only athlete to have won the CrossFit Games owning the title of the fittest man on earth for five consecutive years in a row is an absolutely insane achievement. And as evidence of your grit, your work ethic is absolutely phenomenal. So today I really wanted to talk to you about competition, about training your mind and your body, and of course about your new book, Hard Work Pays Off. But first let's take it back. So Matt, I know that both of your parents were Olympians. So some people might assume mm -hmm. that, you know, you were born for elite competition and it's just in your DNA. I definitely want to know what your parents were feeding you. Uh, but I'd love to know, <laughs> do you believe that, do you believe that you were born and kind of destined in that environment led you to uh, compete at the ultimate level? Or do you think it was something that you cultivated for yourself later on? No. So, so like, like you said, both my parents are Olympians. They were, um, they were pairs freestyle figure skaters uh, in the 1976 Olympics. And, you know, I think people make the assumption that, you know, because they had that career, that growing up, I was in athletics right from the get go. And it honestly, it couldn't be further from the truth. You know, my parents, um, their figure skating career was, was wrapped up 
by the time they started having kids, you know, um, they wrapped up their figure skating career. They went to the Olympics, they turned pro, they went on tour for a couple of years. They won some world championships. Um, but then, you know, the day they decided to be done with it, they were done. You know, they didn't try to hang around and, you know, let it dwindle out. It was my mom decided, Nope, I'm going to medical school. That's what, that's what she did. Um, and they just kind of had their family and started a whole new chapter of their lives. So growing up, other than, you know, scraping the snow off, off the lake and, you know, kind of just putzing around, um, I, I never saw them skate. You know, they, they weren't training when I was growing up. I never saw them compete, anything like that. Um, so I never, never saw that side of them. But, but the work ethic that they had while they, while they were, were training and competing, it was just a symptom of the work ethic that they had, that they applied to everything else. Um, so, you know, like, even though I never saw my mom training for figure skating, I saw her work ethic day in and day out. She was, um, she, she was a practicing family physician for 30 years. And so I got to see that every day, you know, I like it got ingrained into me that the job's not done when the clock hits five o'clock or six o'clock, whatever it is, the job isn't done when you're tired. The job is done when it's done. Um, so, you know, like mm. she, she would finish her day at work and then she would bring home paperwork and like our dining room table probably was more of an at home desk than it was a table. Um, Saturdays, you know, she had Saturday, Sunday off every, every week. And, Saturday morning, first thing, she had a cup of coffee and she would work until her work was done. You know, she wasn't waiting until Monday to do her notes or whatever it was. It was, she did that at home, even when mm. she wasn't expected to. Yeah. So I'm sure seeing that, you know, that environment, as you described, seeing that work ethic, of course, is going to impact you. And did you, did you start playing sports at a young age? Were you competitive growing up? So we, in, in our household, you know, it I don't want to say it was a rule, but it was, we, we basically had to pick an activity to do after school. Um, my parents did not care what it was. Um, but they, they basically just said like, no, you are not coming home from school, plopping down on the couch and watching TV. So pick something, try something. They didn't care what it was. Um, and they, they were okay if we didn't like it and stop doing it. The only rule was if you signed up for it, you need to finish out, um, the requirement that you signed up for, you know? So if it was gymnastics, um, you know, it's like, Hey, I don't want to do this anymore. They're like, okay. Well, you have four weeks left before you, it's like re-sign up or whatever it is, or soccer, T-ball, what, whatever it was, we got to pick whatever activity we wanted to do as long as we had something to do after school. Um, so my, my brother, was into art, theater, music, had no interest once he, you know, kind of hit late middle school, high school, he had no interest in sports, but he dove in, he was in a band, he was in art classes, all that stuff. And my parents are at every concert, they're supporting him, giving him every resource possible to, you know, dive into this experience that he wants to partake in. For me, you know, I did a little bit of the music thing, but I found most of my happiness and joy came from 
came from sport. And so, you know, whether it was football, my main sport growing up was Olympic style weightlifting. And my parents don't know anything about weightlifting, but they, they gave me the resources possible to, to take it as far as I wanted to go. Um, so, you know, like they, they never pushed me into sports. It was, I just saw my mom's work ethic and then my dad was just a performer, you know, when, when he had an extra set of eyes on him or he had someone doubting him of saying like, ah, you can't do that. You'll never, you'll never accomplish that. That's when he thrived. And lucky for me, you know, I got the best of both. You know, I got my mom's work ethic of when nobody's looking, nobody has expectations. Nobody's asking me to put in this extra work. I'm putting in that work. And then also if I know there's a set of eyes on me, um, I, I like to perform. So especially when you're in a Coliseum and there's 10,000 eyes on you, that's, that's when you get to step up and, and really, really put out. Yeah. Super interesting. I really like the point about, you know, your mom saying you can pick something after school and actually, if you, if you want to stop, that's fine, but you don't just stop on the day when you don't feel like going, you know, like I have a 10 year old son and similar thing, you know, he's signed up to certain clubs, whether that's athletics or football training, and there's going to be times, right? You know, it's cold, it's raining. You don't want to go today, but you can't miss it because you committed to the team. But that idea of saying, you know, as a young person, you're already making that commitment to show up for other people. And then it becomes, I guess, a work ethic and a habit for yourself. And I really love the point around this I really love the point around the spotlight because you're so right I think you know for athletes who perform on a global scale it is a performance you know whether they're stepping out onto the track at the Olympics whether they're as you say in a stadium with 10,000 people that performance side of it I suppose can either the weight of that and the expectation I suppose I mean I've never done it myself but I can imagine it could either cripple you or it can elevate and amplify you so for you of course the performer as you said it was the latter so in that moment that energy I guess did that fuel you further oh yeah I mean like I could never touch my my competition performances in in the gym um you know I remember my dad always talking about he's like he's like when I was in the rink at 5 a.m for in front of nobody he's like what's the point like he just didn't you know, it didn't click with him, but he's like, even if there was a janitor cleaning, cleaning all the seats, he's like, I had someone to perform for. And I, I related that so well of like when I was doing weightlifting, you know, your Olympic weightlifting, it's a very quiet sport. There's not, not a lot going on. You know, you do one lift and you sit down for two minutes. Um, but I remember like if there was somebody in the hallway walking by, right. As I was hitting my lift, that lift was always easier. I was more focused. I wanted to make sure that the one lift that that person laid eyes on was perfect. Um, and, you know, and then when I, when I got in, started training CrossFit, you know, it was the same thing when I knew that there was someone with eyes on me, it's like, that's when, that's when the best numbers went up. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm just grateful that I, I got the, the good trait from each of them. Um, and I realized I didn't realize till later how beneficial that was because I've, I've trained with people. I've seen some of my competitors that in the gym, they're putting up numbers that I'm like, Oh my God, like this person's a real threat. And then they get on the big stage and they just kind of crumble, you know, their, their attention is pulled somewhere else because I don't know if it's, they're nervous because they're in front of other people or, you know, they're just not focused on what they should be. Um, 
but you can see that performance difference. And lucky for me, I performed better in front of a crowd, whereas some people, it's the exact opposite. You know, they just kind of crumble when, when there's thousands of eyes on them. Yeah. And do you think, I guess for you, that was innate, you know, as you described, but do you think for someone listening, if they're like, oh my gosh, that's me, I know I can, whether it's a physical challenge, whether it's something different, like presenting or speaking or getting, I don't know, playing an instrument and they know when it's just them in a room, nobody's watching, they can do it, they can nail it 10 times. But as you said, that, that kind of pressure or the feeling that's different when they have to perform it for somebody else if they're listening and thinking oh my gosh I just can't do my full I can't achieve my full potential when it matters the most do you think that's something Mm -hmm. that people can turn around I I think it's a learnt trait you know um, for me public speaking you know in, in weightlifting there's no public speaking you know there's not there's not a big crowd no one's asking you for an interview after your whatever it is um so like when I got into CrossFit, that's when, you know, the the post-event interviews, anything like that started happening. And it was crazy. The crippling fear that I had um, when someone put a microphone in my face and and it's, it's a learned skill. You know, it comes with practice. It's you're going to fumble. You're going to say something. You're not going to explain yourself fully it it's going to happen and you know you go back you listen to the interview after and you're like ah dang it why why did i say that or why didn't i say this um and you know it comes with repetition and and i think a big thing too is just like with training or competing whatever it is you have to look at the situation of like okay the person interviewing me and the people that are listening they're just people just like me you know they they're they're just normal people. Um, and then also thinking, thinking and really breaking down, like, what do I have control over? Um, and, you know, I think when people get in, in front of a crowd or on a big stage or a microphone in front, like a situation that they're not comfortable in, they just get flustered and start panicking about certain things that in all reality probably aren't even real issues, mm. but they just get flustered. And so it's, taking a deep breath and just thinking about, all right, what in this situation do I have control over? And then just executing on those things. You can't control how someone interprets what you say or anything like that. So it's like, just stay calm, stick to your points. Um, and it's the same on the competition floor, training in the gym, public speaking, what, whatever, whatever your craft is, it's focus on the things you have control over and then execute on those. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to talk now around about CrossFit, the CrossFit world. You know, it's quite a polarizing narrative, I think, that CrossFit has. And on the one hand, you have this community that are always so enthusiastic. They literally love it. They will talk about CrossFit to anyone that will listen. It feels like it becomes a part of their identity, belonging to that community. And I think it's a place where people feel like they can be celebrated they can celebrate their own achievements of you know getting a pb it's a rewarding environment for the group and they can celebrate others as well but on the other side you have people that feel like crossfit is a super competitive environment that's maybe intimidating they say it's not inclusive it's kind of macho ego fueled and it's not really a a, yeah an inclusive sport so you've been in the sport for years you've seen it grow in popularity it continues to grow year on year so for you 
Matt, really from the inside out, what was CrossFit all about? Um, so I've, I've kind of touched on this for years, you know, since my first time going to the games and in interviews and I, and I've had friends that come up like, Oh, you know, I, I see the, see you competing. I see the movies that come out every year. It's so cool what you do, but I could never do that. And, and I, I've said this from so, so early on of there's a competing in CrossFit and doing CrossFit for health and fitness are two incredibly different things. You know, I'm, I'm going to the gym, I'm seeking out what do I suck at? How do I get as fit as possible? Um, I'm on no time constraint. I'm, I don't have a job. I'm not in school anymore. This is my full-time job. If I want to perform well, if I quote, want to get a promotion at work, if I want to get a raise, I need to be better. Um, and so I work out on the things that are I'm terrible at. And it's not very often that you enjoy practicing something or enjoy doing something that you're not good at. Usually the things that put a smile on your face are the things that bring you confidence. And those are the things that you're already great at. Um, and so I'm like, that's what I do day in and day out. I'm walking out of the gym every single day with super low self-esteem because I've just hammered something that I'm terrible at. So I'm walking away thinking, oh my God, I'm so unfit. I can't, I can't link these things together. I can't go unbroken, all this stuff. But the, the regular CrossFit class are people that are coming in one hour, start to finish. Uh, if you're at a good gym, they're going to take you through a warm up. They're going to, it's going to be well-rounded programming and it's infinitely scalable. And so I remember when I first showed up to the gym, you know, there were kids in the class that were 17. And then there were some members that are, you know, 70 years old plus, and we're all hitting the same workout, much different movements, but like same stimulus. Um, and you know, yeah, I'm, I'm over in the corner taking a whack at snatching 300 and then there's uh you know the the lady that's 70 years old plus that she's she's trying to she's working on her snatch technique with a 15 pound bar you know and it's we're it's just a common goal of we're just all trying to get better be healthier um and so i think there it's very important to point out that there's two drastically different worlds there's the competition side and then there's the health and fitness side. I think, I think it's been become much more apparent over the last couple of years um, because there, there is a clear distinction between the two. Sure. And as I mentioned, you know, it's definitely becoming more and more popular. I think currently there's 4 million global CrossFit members and that's just CrossFit as a brand. So I'm not even thinking about the functional fitness training gyms, the boutiques that technically aren't CrossFit, but they're based around functional training and full spectrum body conditioning. So all the different elements, you know, the endurance, the yeah. speed, the power, the lifts. So as it's continuing to grow in popularity year on year, and I don't see that trend going anywhere. Why do you think this type of training is so appealing for the everyday person who may not want to compete? As you said, why is this so appealing for everyday you know office workers or parents to go into a crossfit box or to go into a boutique class that's functional and and train their bodies in this way so obviously like i can't speak for every single person i, I can talk on the points of like what was appealing to me um 
And, you know, so I started CrossFit after my Olympic weightlifting career. So, you know, I competed in Olympic weightlifting for about 10 years. I lived at the Olympic Training Center for two years. I lived at the Olympic Education Center for two years. Um, that was my life. If you ask me, hey, how do I put together an Olympic weightlifting cycle? I, I'm your guy. I can I can tell you exactly what to do. I can watch a lift once and know exactly what you're doing correctly, incorrectly, and how to get better. Um, but then when I finish weightlifting, I'm looking at, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not working out twice a day anymore. Um, I don't have any specific goal that I'm working towards. And when I walk into the gym, I'm like, what, what the hell do I do? You know, I don't know how to program a day of just general health and fitness. I don't like I'm lost. And so the big appeal to me was walking into the gym with zero planning. And then I have someone else that has put the thought and effort into this is how we're going to warm up. This is what we're doing for our strength work for today. This is what we're doing for our conditioning work for today. And then here's the accessory work um, to make us better at certain things. Um, and it was a community aspect of like, um, you know, I always look back at playing football in high school and, uh, like I, I never loved football, but it was, if I wanted all my friends played. So it was, if I wanted to hang out with my friends after school, that's where we were. Um, and you know, I became incredible friends with probably half the kids on the team that I have nothing in common with. If it mm. were if it weren't for football, we would we would have nothing in common and our worlds would never overlap. But because we went through that communal suffering together, we had this topic that we could relate on. And then it was at the time it was some of the the tightest bonds that you can ask for. And so it's kind of the same thing with a with a good with a good like community workout is yeah the person next to you you may have nothing in common with i think about some of the people that i took classes with like never in a million years would our worlds overlap but we just went through this like communal thing together we're all here for the same goal and same purpose um and so that's that's what we're going to bond over and i mean you see it in so many crossfit gyms of like people find their class or their group. So, you know, there's like the morning crews or the evening crews yeah. and they, they become great friends uh, because they're going through this journey together. Yeah. I love that. You're so right. I think that kind of applies to, to all sports. I know myself as a runner, I definitely feel that from the running community, as you mentioned, people who I might not have anything in common with, or I might have never met if it wasn't for running. And actually now as well, I think with the internet and with digital fitness, I mean, we can talk about, we can talk about this later, but I think as well before those communities and those pockets were, they were, you know, very much dependent on your you know, geography, right? Where you were, your local community. Whereas now I think it's really exciting to think about this as well on a global scale and to say because of social media, because of, you know, YouTube as a digital fitness, there's all these things that allow us to see people all over the world and kind of, you know, connect into those communities, even if we're not able to physically be in the community. 
Yeah, 100%. So let's talk about the new book, Hard Work Pays Off. I was lucky enough to receive an early copy. And honestly, as soon as I started reading it, I felt I felt inspired to get a bit more serious about my own training. And what I mean by that is, I guess, the detail and the way that you look at all aspects of training, recovery, mindset, nutrition, all of it just highlights to me how complex it really is to truly perform at your best. Now, I'm an endurance runner. I take my training somewhat seriously when I have a race coming up, when I have, you know, the the weeks leading up to the half marathon or the marathon, I will, of course, train, try and sleep, try and eat the things that I need, but nowhere near the level of commitment that someone like (laughs) yourself has adopted. So if I really wanted to see what I could do, I know I'd have to level up in all of those areas. So mm-hmm. Matt, from the various components that you mentioned in the book, which one do you think is the most overlooked? Oh man, I think I think trying to pin it down to one is probably like I mean close to impossible. Um, and I, I I'll kind of follow that up with I think because one of them on their own probably won't make a difference, or you probably won't even notice a difference because it's, it's a fraction of a percentage that of the benefit, you know, mm-hmm. it's on its own. If you do one of these things for one day, will you see a difference? Will you not? Is it just a coincidence that you perform better, perform whatever it is? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but I took the mentality of like compounding interest. I mean, you, you have anyone that shows you like a compounding interest chart of 1% better every single day. Um, you know, by, by the end of the year, you're a whole new person. Um, and so I think by a couple years into my career, looking for a 1% gain, well, even that's probably asking too much, but you start looking at art, right, where can I grab a 0.1% gain or e- even smaller than that? And, and, finding areas where you can start applying five of them together. And, you know, so it's, it's all these little things. And I, I was notorious for breaking down a movement so, so much or training, taking a movement and breaking it down into 10 different pieces and training those 10 different little pieces individually. Um, Mm. You know, and, and I'm sure some of the stuff I did out of the gym, I remember, I remember the first time that I spoke about and this is just one example of like how I looked at my career. You know, for a couple weeks before a big competition, I stopped using um, a knife to open open boxes because what if that knife slips and it cuts my thumb? Now I can't hook grip anything for the next two weeks. Will that affect one workout? Probably not terribly, um, but if you do that every single day for the next two weeks going into your competition. And then God forbid, you know, you're bleeding on your, on your hands during the competition. And now it's like, even if it takes away 5% of your grip strength, well, now you're competing at 5% of a deficit and you're not getting to reflect how fit you actually are. And I remember I, I talked about that in, in a podcast or an interview and people kind of cracked their jokes about it and stuff. But then it was within a couple months after um, I had two different people that were doing two separate competitions within a week of each other. And they sent me a picture of their thumb all bandaged up. And they were like, yep, I cut my thumb opening a box and hook gripping all weekend 
was an absolute pain in the ass. Yes. And and for most people, they're, they're doing this for fun. You know, they're not making their career at it. So it's just an inconvenience, but they go home at night and nothing changes in their life. For me, it was, I could potentially lose a huge chunk of my annual salary because I went into a competition with a tear of my hands or a cut of my hands or a sprained ankle, whatever it may be. Um, and so it's looking at those little, little tiny details, um, you know, looking at how I analyze workouts of, okay, like I know what this workout looks like on paper, but what's it actually going to look like in reality? Where can I execute on these tiny, tiny little things that on a five minute workout, a one second difference, it could be a spot. It could not. But if you have 10 of those one second differences through the whole, every transition, well, now it starts to add up. Now you're looking at one spot difference in scoring, two spots difference. And even that, does that change your overall placement? Maybe not. But if you do that on every workout for 15 workouts over the whole weekend, now you're looking at, you know, a 50 point, a hundred point sway one way or the other. And that's a day and night difference. You know what, Matt? I absolutely love this so much. This, you know, the small details, because I'm someone, I'll be honest, I I have a real kind of thing about attention to detail. I notice the details. You know, we've all got different strengths and weaknesses and some people way more kind of, you know, the bigger picture and the vision and the and the end vision is more powerful for them. But I'm someone who pays a lot of attention to the details. And I always say the details really matter. And what I really love about what you said is that when you know when you think about outliers when we think about high performers so many people who listen to podcasts like this they aspire to improve whether that's improving their fitness improving their uh, their career their wealth their health whatever it is they want to improve and i think we all have this innate desire to improve as as human beings but we look at high performing people sometimes and outliers and they do things differently and i often say you know this word obsession people don't like that i think it's kind of an unpopular thing to say to people get obsessed about it you know get obsessed about the details the data every single element every single brick because it's like oh no but you know we you've got to have balance and you don't want to overcook it over training pushing ourselves you know mentally we're pushing ourselves people exhausted and burnt out and we're kind of telling people to do less do less do less and of course I'm not trying to discount that those things are important we would come on to that but I love this idea that actually high performing people, outliers, people who achieve incredible things that we didn't even think were possible, maybe it's because of those details. They're doing the extra thing that you just mentioned, that one rep or that one extra second every single time, they're not letting that go. And I think that's something that's incredibly powerful. I hope people hear that is that it's not by accident. You know, greatness is not achieved by accident. It's intentional. And I think that that work ethic that you've mentioned at the start and that 1% and the small details, uh, that's really, really powerful for me. Yeah. And I, I think too, like it, it's a very important to look at time frame of, um, I forget who it was or what the context was, but they said they, they were like, it took me 17 years, six months, and, and 14 days to become an overnight success. Yeah. You know, like, it's like, you, you'll see someone come on, like, I'm just talking about sports, but like, come on to the scene, and it's like, boom, it's like, oh my god, they just came in, and they crushed it. And, and so like, I'll, I'll talk about my experience. Um, you know, I had very early success in the sport. 
um, you know, like as, as soon as I decided, Hey, I want to be good at this. You know, I, I started winning some smaller local competitions. Um, but you, you have to look at it. I've been doing Olympic weightlifting since I was 12 years old. I didn't start mm-hmm. CrossFit. I didn't step into a CrossFit gym until I think I was 23. Um, and so it's like, I competed at a very high level. I was a very, very proficient mover in the Olympic lifts. And so much of CrossFit is based off those lifts. Um, and so I came into a CrossFit gym my first day with a 300 pound snatch. That hmm. is something that most of these guys are working for years and years and years to achieve. And I had worked for years and years to achieve it. But then when I took on this new endeavor, I had that one skill set. Um, but it's because I spent years pounding the fundamentals of not going heavy, not going for that instant gratification right now. Like I, my first month doing Olympic weightlifting, I lifted on a broomstick, not by choice. I was forced to, I was not allowed to lift a barbell, but for an entire month, I used a broomstick. It was so humiliating. Um, and then when I achieved that, my coach was like, all right, you can grab the first bar. And it was like a five pound iron or copper pipe. It wasn't even a real bar because nobody made trainer bars yet. Um, and then like the first set of weights that I lifted on, they didn't make training weights yet for like the young kids or like the, you know, the full circumference, uh, plates for Olympic weightlifting. And so, so one of, one of the gym dads had cut out uh different thicknesses of plywood and so it's like you could you would graduate to like the quarter inch plywood plates and then you go to the five eighths and then the three quarter inch plywood plates and you know so i spent so much time pounding these fundamentals but what that allowed me to do is once i was on the big stage it never mattered how fatigued i was i Mm -hmm. my body only knew how to move one way and that was just the correct way so now when i'm competing at very high intensity i'm able to focus on the effort i'm putting in instead of the effort and the technique and how high i'm catching the bar and all these other factors um and i think that's one very common trait and i think it's an unseen thing when people look at these mega superstars that are just the best in the world at whatever they do It's like, you have to keep in mind, these people have been doing it for years and years. And so you have someone that comes into the gym, they want to lose some weight and they're a month in and they're frustrated because they're not seeing the results. And it's like, yeah, you've been doing it a month. Like, (laughs) let's talk about this in a year or two, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and we can all probably relate to that feeling of impatience. And I think that drawing from what you just said you know having the humility to do the fundamental work as you said even Mm -hmm. someone who because you can this is the thing I think people maybe find frustrating as well that I see in the fitness world is that just because you're good at one element you might think that that applies so let's take for example again running someone who's a half marathon runner they do 10ks they might do they might do all sorts of different activity and they think well I'm fit and I'm healthy so then if they're they're strong and they you know they, they think that they're because they're not a beginner it does feel as you said humiliating or a little bit humbling to say right okay when you walk into that space into that functional fitness space if you don't know the technique of how to do these things you've got to learn you've got to go back to step one day one and and not all of your I guess fitness uh, is going to be transferable from one thing to another you know triathletes they have to work on 
all three aspects, all the different details. And yeah, I think it's incredibly, uh, yeah, having the humility to do the fundamentals. And as you've mentioned, to have the patience to not look at someone else and go, well, why can't I do it now what they're doing? Because I'm an impatient person. Of course, we all want to skip to the fun part. But I guess it goes to show that it does pay off doing that work. Yeah, 100%. You know, it's, it's one of those things. And I think that was a very valuable thing for me of like, finding the enjoyment in um in being bad at a task of finding you know like in in the sport that i did you know finding whenever i found something i was bad at at first it was super disappointing because i'm like oh there's still so much work to be done um but then by the end of my career it's like i'm excited when i find something that i'm not good at i'm like yes i'm already i already love what i'm doing and I just found something that can allow me to be better. Um, and then w- once you kind of find the enjoyment of seeking out professionals in their craft or, you know, working on those fundamentals, it's, it's amazing. Cause it's like, Oh, I just found something I'm bad at. I can only go up from here. Um, and I think it's a big thing is changing your perspective on those things of find that silver lining. You know, it's, you, you being miserable about something is a decision. Um, and it sounds corny, but find that silver lining as soon as possible because you can look at it, finding a deficiency or a hole in your game can be perceived two different ways of, you can either look at it like, oh, another thing I have to work on. Oh, something I'm bad at, like this sucks. Or you can think like, oh, sweet. This is an easy opportunity to get better. Like I can go nowhere but up from here. Um, And so you get to you get to work on a new project. Yeah, I love that. And the mindset part, absolutely. The perception and the perceived, you know, this is a, it, like I say, a problem to be solved and, and taking enjoyment in that. And I guess, you know, leading on from that to mental toughness and mental resilience you know I kind of touched on the thing around when to rest when to recover and the importance of those things because of course we know they are incredibly important and we should you know make time for those things and I I often talk about seasons you know when's the season for training hard when's the season for rest when's the season for competition when's the season for I don't know friends family alcohol whatever it is but if you're in that season of doing the work and the hard work we it doesn't mean in that season you're not going to have those days where you're not feeling it you don't want to do it either your body's tired your mind is tired maybe you're distracted oh, pissed 100%. off so on those yeah. days how do you cultivate resilience how do you cultivate mental toughness yeah i think um you know people assume that every day is going to be a pr day or every day is going to be fun or every day you're going to feel great that couldn't that is some bullshit. Um, you know, there were so many days where like your eyes open in the morning and you just go, Oh my God, I have to do what today. And, you know, right off the bat, you already have the wrong perspective of for myself. I'm looking at, Oh my God, I have to do my rowing intervals today, or I have to swim today and I'm just dreading it. Um, but what I should be doing is looking up like I get to work out today for a living. You know, like it's this amazing opportunity. I get to do this today. Um, You know, I'm physically able enough. I'm healthy enough, whatever it is. Um, But then also, you know, people ask, ask me all the time of like, what's your motivation? And 
And I, I can't pinpoint it down to one thing. It depends on what my mood is. You know, I, I have these different cards, let's say, that I pull out depending on what my mood is and what's going to motivate me that day. Um, and, you know, most of the time, it's like nine, I'd say nine times out of 10, I'm picturing the the CrossFit games. I'm picturing being on the big stage and how do I want my performance to, to look? How do I want to perform at that moment? And knowing that that moment's not going to come unless I do consistency throughout the entire year. Um, but then there's other, there's other days, there's, there's motivational cards that I pull out that, you know, yeah, they're not my norm, but if it gets me fired up that day, well, who cares where the motivation comes from? Mm -hmm. It's, it's getting, it's getting me moving for the day. Um, and you know, some of the things that I've, I've talked about, you know, some get perceived well and people can relate and then others kind of look at it of like, wow, that sounds terrible. Um, and so, you know, I've talked about like, there's some days where I have to look at what I do as a job of yeah. like, it does not matter that I want to, or don't want to go in today. It's a job. Like, yeah. this is what I do for a living. And so I was very, very grateful that those days are so few and far between um, that I didn't need to look at it that way very often. But occasionally, you know, when when you have four open blisters on your hands, your quads are just shivering from the day before, your lungs are still hurting, your back's aching, all these things, you just have to grit up and go like, no, this is my job. Like, if I don't show up to work, I, I'm not going to get the promotion or get the raise, whatever it is. Mm. Um, there were other days that I looked externally, you know, I looked at, um, I looked at Sammy and it was like, I want to provide her the life that she wants. And to do that, I need to go, I need to go fucking grind. Mm. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's the ones I, I did my best to not use them as, as often as I could, but like the resentment, you know, yeah. I, yeah. um, resentment, it is, it is a short burning fuel. If you rely on resentment, it will burn you out. But damn it, if it's not the hottest burning fuel there, <laughs> yes. um, you know, and, and, you know, I, I, I remember I found a sign that said success is the best revenge. And, and that just hit, it just put my thoughts into words of I'll show you I'm not going to go out of my way and try to hurt you. I'm not going to go out of my way to, you know, put my energy anywhere negative. I'm going to take my energy and better myself and make you regret the day that you wrote me off. Um, and so, you know, like, I think wow. it's very important to know that resentment is a hot, hot burning fuel. It will light a fire under your ass. But if you, if you rely on that, or if it's there too consistently, it will burn you out 100%. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, wow. that, that's what, that's what happened with my weightlifting career. You know, it, it, I broke my back. I came, I got some bolts and plates put into my back and, you know, I had so many people just write me off and saying like, oh, his career is done. He'll never come back. He can't come back. Um, and, 
And I, I came back. I came back better than I was before because I wanted to show those people. But what I didn't have the knowledge or, you know, the perspective at the time, um, I used that fuel every single day. That's what it revolved around. Mm. Um, that's that was my motivation every day. I had no other reason. And it and it shifted my my relationship with my weightlifting career from a love passion. I can't wait to get in there to just anger. And I, I lost the love for it. So, mm. you know, I, I always like keeping that resentment there for when it's needed, but I try to avoid it. <laughs> I try to avoid it at all costs. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really powerful. I, you know, the way I talk about that sometimes is this chip on my shoulder. And you're right. I think it's it, it, the perception of it is, yeah, you don't want to go to that negative place and like revenge and these words that people say, well, that's not very positive. That's not very motivating or uplifting. But I really, I mean, it's so powerful hearing you describe that. We all, if you felt that feeling, you know what it feels like. You know what it yeah. feels like. You can, you can like literally taste it in your mouth, that feeling of like that chip on your shoulder, which I think it doesn't even have to be. And again, this is physical, but you know, people doubt us or can doubt people throughout their lives, write them off. That can be school teachers. It can be parents, actually. It can be peers. It can be coworkers. It could be a boss. It could be someone who you have that feeling of, you know what, you don't know what's possible for me and I'll show you. Yeah, and half the time, you're carrying that thing on your shoulder. The person that said it to you forgot about it 10 minutes later. You know, like they've moved on with their day. You know, half the time it's something you misinterpreted. But like for me, I remember like there are some things that would get said and it's like, all right, I'm going to hang on to that one. I'm going to pull yeah. it out when when the when the time comes. Um that's been my yeah, entire you know. life. That's been my entire life, Matt, I think, since, especially since school. And I think I do have a chip on my shoulder about school and education and teachers and even, even my parents, I suppose. And it's not necessarily, as you said, something to be celebrated in a positive way. However, maybe I wouldn't have achieved the things that I've achieved in my life if I didn't have that, that chip on my shoulder sometimes that makes me go, you know, Adrienne, they didn't know you could do this, but you can. And just by doing it, as you said, it's not about just always proving people wrong, but sometimes it's like prove to yourself that you can do these yeah. things whether that's writing a yeah. book running a marathon you know prove it to yourself yeah and i think you know like i always like I, I that was the one one of the main posters it was a focal point in my gym was this poster that said success is the best revenge and so many times i think people just hear the word revenge and there's such a negative connotation with it you know they they relate it to you know being spiteful or you know, just doing something dirty. Um, and it's like, well, no, like actually break down what this, what this means or how you're going to apply it. And by success is the best revenge. My interpretation of that is like, you can do, do me wrong or tell me whatever nasty thing you want to tell me. And I'm not going to skip a beat. I'm going to show you how little your words mean to me by not even giving them any consideration into how I'm going to conduct myself or my actions. I'm only going to make myself better and better and better. And I hope that when, when you see me achieving my goals, that you realize that your words meant so little to me that they didn't make me even skip a beat. Um, and so I'm just constantly trying to better myself of, I'm not going out of my way to do any, do any harm or, you know, bring, make you feel the way you made me feel. Um, I'm just going to try to keep building myself up. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm going to pl- uh, Matt, I am going to play that on repeat. And you know, I, when I work, with, <laughs> when I work with young people, when I speak to young people, you know, whether it's through mentoring or delivering talks, I really hope that for some young people, they don't have anyone in their lives who is telling them that they can achieve. They don't have anyone in their lives showing them an example of hard work or, or, you know, maybe putting them down, criticizing them. And I think for young people to hear that it doesn't have to be a negative pursuit of revenge, but it can fuel you to achieve incredible things and as you said to better yourself is really really powerful so thank you so much for sharing that because it's amazing i mean i mean like i i can put it to so many different scenarios in my life of people early early on just saying some just some hurtful things um and you know and you don't know what that person's going through whether they actually meant it or they just had a bad day or they're going through some trials and tribulations of their own and they're just lashing out whatever it is um but almost every endeavor that i take on i you know whether it's dms or someone that i consider their friend saying something something about it you know whatever it is and i i remember specifically one that happened recently and the person like just called me out and it was like ah like dude like i thought we were kind of kind of friends or like we were at least friendly and it was like what the hell like what was that about and i just took it i screenshot it i sent it to my manager and, and you know my manager's like you know we've been attached to the hip for years he's one of my absolute best friends um, and I sent it to him and I just, I remember saying, good, I haven't achieved many great things without someone doubting me. And so this, this is the start. This is how I know I'm onto something good is because I have someone trash talking me right now and never, never DM that person back. I never responded to their story. I never, never talked to him I said, mm-hmm. nope, like you're one less person that I have to be concerned about because you just showed me your true colors. Um, and I was like, all right, I'm going to move on. I'm going to take the criticism you just said into account um, and make sure that those character defects or those flaws that you pointed out, I'm going to make sure to do my absolute best job to make sure that I don't do those things. Um, and am I doing it as revenge to them? Absolutely not. I'm doing it as self-improvement for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really powerful because essentially there's always maybe not always, but sometimes there is an element of truth in criticism. And so if you can take that element of truth and go, okay, let me work on that. Let me make it better. But without having to, as you said, respond or kind of get reactive in any way, then great. It's like I say, another lesson learned. So before, yeah. before we move on to talk about the power hour, cause we all want to hear about your first hour of every day and kind of what's going on in your morning routine. Before we go on to that, Matt, I'm going to put you on the spot. So I talked to you a little bit before we started recording and uh, you know that I work for a fitness technology app based here in the UK called Fit. And we are with a number one rated fitness app here in the UK and we're launching a world first. So it's interactive air bike workouts. So these workouts, yeah. So these workouts track your calories. And then when you're on the mat, if you're doing exercises, for example, with dumbbells or kettlebells, they also track your reps using a device. So as you can imagine, the you know competitive element of, of everyone comes out and I thought I was pretty fit until I got onto that bike that <sighs> is a whole new kind of madness it is insane Matt talk to me about the assault bike 
Okay, so you you're on the Assault bike, like that's the brand that you're on. Oh yeah, the Assault Air bike. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, there's no good or there's no enjoyable <laughs> fan bike. So, you know, there's a couple different brands like the ones I have in my gym are the Rogue Echo bike. Um we've competed for years on the Assault bike. Um there there's nothing enjoyable about them unless you're looking at tomorrow. Unless you're looking at this moment sucks, but it, you know you're going to be better tomorrow because of it. Um, and so, you know, the, the fan bike was probably one of my biggest tools through, my, through the later years of my, of my competitive career um, because I wasn't good at it. You know, like early on in my career, it was the Concept 2 rower. I was so god-awful at it that I just, my days revolved around getting better at that one implement. And then later on in my career, once I became proficient on the rower, it, it was, all right, now it's the fan bike. Um, and I mean, it's, it's so versatile. It's a full body, just suck fest. Um, <laughs> this is what I'm mean, learning kind of... is that the versatility is something that I definitely learned recently because I think traditionally people just kind of get on, go hard, they do the sprints and they think, oh, this is, as you said, awful. But actually the versatility and really understanding and learning that it's such an efficient way to train you know aerobically but actually even for recovery for active recovery that we've kind of yeah done a bit of a deep dive and we really i've learned a lot but what i wanted to also know is do you have have you ever done the one minute max calorie test or a five minute max calorie test have you ever done that yes um what's your score do you have a score oh god i couldn't i don't even know i don't remember so one of the very first competitions i did I forget if it was a one minute or a two minute test. I think it was a one minute because it was very, very anaerobic in the first little bit because everyone, it was just a max effort. You go out as hard and as fast as you can and just try to hang on. And so the competition, I think there was 10 or 12 bikes all lined up. And this is back in the days where competitions were in parking lots. And, And so there's, let's say 12 bikes lined up. And I watched the previous heats, watching how people are pacing, you know, seeing their scores. So I have a target to hit and, and I'm watching all these guys, they finish. And then it's, you just turn into a puddle, you just fall <laughs> off the bike and you're just rolling around. You're trying to find a comfortable position, but Quads it's are locked out. <laughs> yeah. You're not finding it. Um, and I remember when they, they gave like the 30 second warning before our heat started and I kind of like leaned my head forward to like be proud of everyone else and I shouted I was like hey and everyone kind of looks and I was like hey when the minute's up everyone fall to the right and just so like we weren't like knocking heads or kicking each other when we fell off the bikes and because you know you know the end result is inevitable if you You give full effort you if you give full effort like you can try to get off the bike and stand. You can try to look strong. And it's, if you hit the workout correctly, you're not standing up after. But I think, I think there's, there's certain things too of like, what's your goal on that bike? So for you, if you're a marathon runner, I'm sure looking at those 20 calorie sprints or 10 calorie sprints, where it's just an absolute max power output is terrible because that's, that's not what you train normally. And then I have, I have buddies that, you know, they weigh 
315 pounds and they're just like lean, mean machines. They're just huge people. And they get on and they do a 50 calorie sprint in 17 seconds. And then they get, they get (laughs) off and they're perfectly fine. But if I ask them like, Hey, let's go side by side and do a 20 minute max wattage test. Well, I'm going to eat their lunch, you know, because that's not (laughs) what they train. That's not what they're good at. You know? So they're just recruiting a different stimulus that they've never, they're not familiar with. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it it all comes down to what are you training? What is the intent of your training? And then what are your strengths and weaknesses? And so I, I have buddies that can hit a 50 calorie for time and they hop off and it's, that's what they're good at, you know? So they just smack mm-hmm. it out of the park and walk away like nothing happened. Um, and then and what you do take you think that same that? guy. I look at something like that. It's the same as a one, like a big one rep in like the Olympic lifts or squats. Like, damn, that is cool. You know, like that's mm-hmm. the big flex. Um, and what do you think about that? You just mentioned that, you know, when you were competing and it was literally in a parking lot, very manual, you know, you just literally up against people. What do you think about this digital version? So you could literally be on a leaderboard with me. You're in the US, I'm here in the UK, but we go head to head, one minute, max effort. Like, do you think that that kind of digital version is going to be uh, appealing? Do you think that's going to be exciting to people? I mean, that, I mean, that's how I, that's how I found my motivation or like, kind of like, that's how I set my goals early on. So Hmm. early on before I knew any coaches or any competitors in the space, you know, like I had the people in my, in my gym that I could go against, but it's like, I wanted, I wanted more people. Cause if you, if you have a training partner, you know, once you become familiar with them, it's like, all right, I'm going to beat them in this. They're going to beat me in that. And you know, it's kind of the end of the day. Um, so, you know, I wanted to expand my reach and I remember, I remember finding, um, you know, uh, a gym that had a lot of competitors and they posted their blog, their training blog, uh, for free and people could comment and people are posting their scores and all this stuff. And I followed the blog, you know, two or three days behind because at the time I had no idea who the person was, but at the time I knew on this blog, this this guy named Noah Olson always has the top score. And so I want to wait until he does the workouts, he posts his score, and then I can go in the gym a day later and I have a target to chase. Um, and so, you know, Noah and I ended up become becoming friends and like we competed against each other for years and years. Um, but for probably a good year, year and a half, I didn't know what he looked like. I didn't know where he was from. I didn't know anything about him. He was just a name on a leaderboard that was my goal to beat. Um, and so it was, and any competitor knows that the first person going out for a workout um, who's setting the pace has a tough time. Yeah, It's yeah. as soon as you have a time to beat or as soon as you have a goal of all right first place right now is you know four minutes and 40 seconds if i were to do that workout blind yeah that might be a very competitive time but as soon as that time is put in the previous heat the next heat going out well that that's now the minimum like so everyone's pacing off that everyone knows that's achievable and so to get to the next level 
it lowers that barrier of entry almost because you have the confidence going into it. Like you've seen it done before, you know, it's possible. You don't have that uncertainty, uncertainty of, am I doing this the correct way? Is it even possible? Am I going to burn out? Um, so I, I think having like that online community is fantastic because like you, you'll find names on the leaderboard that whatever it is, like a certain challenge or certain workout, you're like, oh, okay, that Tom guy, I know is really good at these types of workouts. Let's see what his score is and let's see how I chalk up. So, you know, you kind of get those like friendly rivalries going and you can push each other back and forth. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's certainly been the case, as I said, for someone like me who was quite new to using the air bike. And now, of course, I've got those numbers. As you said, I'm seeing the score and I'm going, OK, I've got something. I call it the carrot. I'm like, that's the carrot. That's what I'm exactly. That's what I'm yeah. Yeah. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So, of course, Matt, we couldn't wrap up the Power Hour podcast without hearing from you about your Power Hour. So the concept of the Power Hour is very simple. It's about the first hour of every single day, using that hour intentionally to do whatever you want. And I'd love to hear from you right now in your life with where, where you're at. What does the first hour of your day include? Okay, so so this is relatively new for me. So I think I need to point out that through my entire competitive career, um, I slept in as as late as I could um, because I knew the power of sleep. That was my priority as getting as recovered as possible. Um, and then also knowing the fact that with the career choice I had of being a competitive athlete, I don't run out of time during the day. I run out of energy. And so it's like, as soon as when I was in the gym and my movement quality or my fatigue started setting in too much, that's when my workday was done. And then I still had a couple hours left in the day, um, to do my body work, nutrition, all that type of stuff. So I was like, well, I didn't, you know, if I, if I'm not running out of time, I'm only running out of energy during the day. Why would I rush out of bed to go jump into it? Then I'm going to have this huge blank spot in my day. But now that I'm not competing and I have other priorities, I have other responsibilities, it's completely changed because now I run out of time every single day. Um, <laughs> the problem with working from home is that you work from home. So there's no there's no one dictating your work hours. And so, you know, it was eyes open to eyes closed. I can be working if I choose. And mm. my workplace is a desk in my room or my couch, my kitchen, they're all my workspace. Um, so working out now is something that I want to do, but it's not something I have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I found myself more and more often always saying like, no, I need to get this done for work. Um, so I'm pushing off the things I want to do until everything I need to do is done. And so more and more often as you know, I'm getting to 8 p.m., 
and it's like, oh, I still, I still should work out, but then it's like, oh, it's too late. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow, and just pushing it off and off and off. Um, so for the last couple months, um, alarm goes off at five thirty, and it is as soon as it goes off, make it a habit to just sit up, get out of bed right away. Um, and, and for me, you know, I, I like, as soon as I get up, analyze the day of what do I have to get done today? And that goes at the top of the list. And what do I want to get done today? And that goes to the bottom of the list. And when I say list, it's a physical list. Like I, I have notepads all over the house, pen and paper everywhere. Me so too. that if a thought pops in my head, boom, jot it down. Um, cause I have the memory of a goldfish. So first thing, 5.30, I'm up, out of bed, um, turn on the coffee pot uh, or turn on the kettle and uh, I'll make a double shot of espresso as soon as I'm up and I'll turn on the coffee pot for regular pour over. And as that as that's heating up, I go through my list of, and I write down what do I have to get done today? What do I want to get done today? And then, you know, have my coffee and then it's right down to the gym for uh, 6 a.m. And I usually work out for hour and a half, two hours, first, first thing in the morning. And then it's it like it just sets the mood for to, for the day of like, no, I'm getting shit done. I've already done the most strength, the phys- most physically strenuous part of my day is done already. Um, I just found like for a long time after I stopped competing it was like i had no reason to get out of bed and i don't mean like i literally it did not matter if i woke up at six or if i woke up at 10. um and so most of the time i stayed in bed till 10. and then it's like you get up and you put on your sweatpants and your slippers and your hoodie you get cozy on the couch to give yourself time to wake up well now the whole now the whole day is just lazy it's surrounded it's it's tailored to make myself comfortable instead of making myself productive yeah that's not the the i'm sure that's not the image uh that people have in their minds when they think of you and i'm sure they're probably exactly. kind of quite probably quite nice though to hear that like oh my gosh you know what even matt fraser the you know the superhuman has that human innate urge to, to just to just seek comfort and to just sleep it's, in and to just put on the sweatpants and eat course. some chips <laughs> seeking comfort is the most comfortable it's it's great. It feels great in the moment. But if I sleep in and then the first thing I do when I wake up is get comfortable and like kind of just like allow myself time. I'm telling myself it's okay to be lazy right now. You'll get to the other things later. Well, then by the end of the day, it's like I didn't accomplish anything today. I'm the same, if not worse than when, when I woke up. I didn't better myself in any way. Um, so now it's like started waking up at 530. Like, so Sammy has woken up at 530 her entire life. Like 530 is like sleeping in for her. And so for her to see me getting up at the same time as her, it is a whole new world for her. It's so strange. But after doing it and just realizing like, Oh my God, I get so much more done in the day. I feel better just, you know, working out with some buddies at, at five 30, six in the morning. 
it feels amazing. Like you're up, you're moving, you're not tired the whole day. You're, you're awake, you know? Um, yep. and it's the first thing you do in the day is something productive and you get to check that thing off the list. And then it just puts you in this mentality of like, what else can I check off? What else can I accomplish? What other department of my life can I, can I work towards this goal in? Um, so I think it just sets the mood for the day. So yeah, for me, it's up at five 30 coffee, make my to-do list for the day, um, go through like any scheduling requirements for the day. So I know where I have to be and when, and then, and then I, I work out and some days it's a 60 minute workout. Like me and my buddies have to be out of the gym. We have something scheduled. Um, and then other days like today, I got in there at six and I didn't leave until eight 50 to come, come do this podcast, you know? Um, so I think it just sets the tone for the day of like, all right, let's get after it. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I think for a lot of people who've heard me talk about the power hour for a long time, I think maybe they're like, well, that works for you. You know, you get up at half five, you know, I get up and train in the morning as well. And it's it's this idea that sometimes people go, oh, that's just not me. It's just not for me. It's not who I am. And actually, once they try it, you know, they realize, like you said, how good they can feel. Because I'll be honest, like I feel better when I've yeah moved in the morning, spent that time prepping, done my to-do list, etc. But it's, so- uh, it's not another the thing to kind of punish people with with like oh get up early it's actually it's actually additive you feel better yeah. as a result i promise you like it is it is not miserable i look forward to it now because i know the association between working out and how i feel the rest of the day when i competed i had a rule that like it was kind of a joke but like it held true most days of no barbells before noon and that was like it held true like I do not want to grip something heavy before noon. I have the whole day to do it. Why am I doing it while I still have pillow grip? Like not happening. If <laughs> like our training sessions at earliest were nine, nine thirty, probably more edging towards 10 because I, time wasn't a factor for me. I didn't have any other responsibilities. I didn't have any other things I had to get done in the day. I woke up and I worked out and that was it. Um, and, and so now that I have other responsibilities, people that are dependent on me, you know, if I have meetings or just a schedule, um, you know, I can't spend the whole day in the gym and, you know, I'm, I was sleeping until 10 or 11 and I wanted my buddy to get back into working out. Um, and, and I remember saying like, Hey man, if you like, he, he has a, he has a young, uh, young son. And I was like, you know, if you need to wait until you put put your kid to bed and then come over. I'll do late night workouts with you. And he was like, Nope, that's not practical. He's like, I need to be on my job site at seven 15 in the morning. So the only way I can do a workout, if it is like, we start before 6am Yeah. and I'm in my head, I'm like, Whoa, like, dude, I haven't <laughs> seen, I haven't even seen 6am in a couple years, let alone been active at 6am. Um, and so, you know, it, it was a goal. I wanted to work out consistently with him. And so I just told him, I was like, all right, give me a week. Give me one week to adjust my sleep schedule and, and then we'll get into it. And, yes. and now it is a thing that we both look forward to. Um, our workout morning group has grown. You know, we have more and more people showing up at 6am because they enjoy it too. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, it wasn't a thing that like seemed appealing to me right from the get go. Waking yeah. up before 6am sounded like my nightmare. That's why I went into sports. It was because I had to wake up at 6am for a job. And I was like, this sucks. Like <laughs> I will do anything to avoid this. Um, but it's just making it part of your routine. Like, yeah. So hearing that is possible. It is possible people. If you're listening to this yeah. and I know, trust me, I know that in the winter months, you know, in January, it is not the time maybe when you want to start thinking about the power hour, but trust me, if you can do it in January, if you can do it in the dark, if you can do it in the cold, you can do it anytime. So it's better to start now when it's hard and actually in the spring and the summer, it's easy to get up with the birds, you know, but I think yeah. doing it now, doing the hard work now, doing the power hour in the depths of winter, it's, it's uh, so rewarding. And I just want, honestly, I, <laughs> I'm broken record, Matt. I've been talking about this for four years, but I think <laughs> that people who, people who've adopted it and it's great hearing that, you know, it doesn't, it hasn't always been the way for, for you, but now you're doing it. It's possible and it's not torture. You're enjoying it. So yeah, really absolutely. hope the listeners will hear that. And Matt, thank you so, so much for being a guest on the Power Hour podcast. I know people are going to absolutely love this episode. So if there's anyone listening who wants to who wants to get a copy of the book firstly where can they get the book and secondly where can they reach out and connect with you uh so i know i know it's on pre-sale right now on amazon um and then i know we we still need to coordinate dates for like i think we're planning on doing like a full book tour um you know my schedule is flexible now so i'm able to uh you know do fun interactive things like that um but yeah right now on amazon you can get it on pre-sale Awesome. Thank you so, so much. And as always, thank you for tuning in, for listening to the Power Hour podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have, then please do share it, share it online, share it with friends. It really helps us to grow this community. Have an awesome week. See ya. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.